right. Welcome back to After the Gig. Jesse Humphrey here. I'm your host. As usual, this is After the Gig. It's a music podcast where we talk to people about music and their lives and all that good stuff. It's the new year, 2023. We made it. Um, we made it. And that's it. New year, new resolutions, new goals, all that stuff. How quickly have you given up on your New Year's goals? I told my wife that I was going to do push-ups every day, and I did it one day. And uh, I just kind of forgot the rest of the time, but I should get back. I should get back to it. Coming up the next week, I have some shows. Um, it's exciting first shows of the year for Carbon Leaf, and I'm very excited about them. We're going to be back in Charleston, South Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Orlando, Florida, Tampa, Florida, Boca Raton, Florida, and excitingly enough, on the Rock Boat 23. Not sure what that means, excitingly enough, but I'm very excited to be on the Rock Boat 23. And I'm not very excited about my doctor that won't return my phone calls about the. Uh, motion sickness patch that I need to be able to function like a normal human on the rock boat. So I might be the guy taking Dramamine every day, just sleepy. Um, but hopefully this guy gets back to me like today or tomorrow because it's because I leave on Monday. So um, yeah, flying into Charleston on Monday, which is the 16th. Today is the 12th. And uh, I'm excited. I've never actually stayed the night in Charleston, so I'll be getting there a day before the band, um, flying in early, checking into the hotel, and then maybe exploring the city of Charleston. I don't know. I've never, I've never been there for more than a day. So uh, if you have any suggestions for me, send that over to afterthegigpod at gmail.com. Um, and tell me about your New Year's resolutions. What are you trying to do? What's new? What sucked about 2022 that you would like to improve? In 2023, do you have any fun shows planned? I have been listening to the Lori Berkner band a lot because it, uh, she's a, uh, a kid's songwriter. Um, prolific. So much music has this woman and the band written. And uh, Ethan loves, loves the music. So we sing the songs constantly. And she's actually coming to uh, East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And uh, all three of us are going to go see the concert. It's going to be really, really fun. So I'm excited about that. Um, I want to go to more shows. I want to get more into the Providence music scene. I want to go see uh, Cody Nilsson, um, who plays with Ward Hayden and the Outliers, who was on this show very recently. And uh, we saw him at Askew. And it's just a cool club. I really like the Providence music scene. I want to get in there and meet more people in it. So... Hopefully, I will be having more people from the Providence music scene on this podcast this upcoming year. But other than that, um, as always, check out the Patreon. There's some After the Gig exclusive content there. Uh, I will be going live today to show this process of editing and releasing a podcast. Um, and that will only be for patrons. So go on there, sign up. There's a tier level for everyone. And... Uh, and I appreciate the support and, um, you know, started the podcast in 2019, <clears throat> went really, really heavy, did it every single week, religiously, um, pandemic every week. And then it just, you know, slow life happened, uh, had a baby boy, had, uh, you know, 
had had to had to work and and do things and travel more and um, a lot of weeks. You know, I missed a couple weeks, missed a couple weeks here, missed a couple weeks there. But um, at, like this has always been the constant. Like other than playing music and trying to get gigs and and do solo gigs and play with Carbon Leaf, this has been the constant thing I like to come back to and speak either into the void or speak with you guys and share my experiences with you guys. So um, whether it's every week, whether it's every other week, whether I take whatever off, um, I hope you guys always come back and um, and put it into your regular rotation and hopefully share it, share it with, with people that you think would be into it. Um, anyway, so without further ado, let me introduce the guest to you today. Josh Druckmann, runs Outlier Inn and Outlier Studios up in the Catskills in upstate New York. Um, I was able, I was lucky enough to be invited to to record an album um, for a buddy, a new friend, um, with old friends and new friends, whatever, um, up in this studio. And it was such a wonderful experience. You got to be on this beautiful property. There's animals. You're in this house. There's a lot of uh, Airbnb um, little nooks throughout the property. There's like outdoor kitchen and you can, you know, you can explore. There's a little town down the street where I have, uh, I bought this incredible hot sauce. Anyway, that's another story. But I was able to meet this guy who owns the studio named Josh, who is just constantly like around and telling stories and like one little story would reveal itself and like, wait, what? You're live in New York City what what you worked on uh, for on Wall Street like what like what is going on here you're this crunchy guy that loves music and and has animals and you know it's there's a lot of a lot of layers to this person and I just had to talk to him so I asked him if you want to do the podcast and he agreed so here we are it's uh it's episode I think it's 106, maybe. I'm not really sure exactly. 105 or 106. Let me double check which number episode we are on. It's 106. So, episode 106 with Josh Druckman. Please enjoy this conversation. And uh, yeah, it was it was a really really fun one. Enjoy. probably multi-million dollar studio and we're sitting here with a couple 58s and a zoom zoom recorder 58s are great um talk a little bit checking the sure sm58 microphone that is plugged in via some canary fancy xlr cable into the zoom recorder Mm -hmm. which for some reason is not recording interleaved but it's recording or it's recording interleaved as opposed to split mono i actually split i um I switched to channels three and four, so oh. now we're now I split it up. Amazing, because I was afraid that I was, I was only going to get. I'm not that Left savvy, side, you know right, what I mean. Right, I, right. I, was, I was just afraid. Right. Um, just stick to playing all of the instruments. Right. Is this so? This is your house that you live in during, with the winter months. 
the yeah we're in the main house here and i live here in the winter months i've lived here full time for the last uh 20 years but uh and i uh starting about 15 years ago i started renting the upstairs of of this house um but keeping the downstairs to myself really yeah because this this originally well this was originally a two family house that uh was converted into a single family home by the previous owners. Oh. So when I used to rent out just the upstairs, I would recreate the two family vibe just with curtains. So I would close off the curtains in the living room, mm-hmm. close off the curtains in the hallway, and then people would enter, guests would enter through the front and just go directly upstairs. Right. And then they would have three bedrooms and the bathroom, uh and then they would use the outdoor kitchen for cooking. Okay. So that was only it was only in like, you know, spring, summer, fall kind of thing. And that still happens or that That doesn't happen because I now rent out the entire thing right. um downstairs and upstairs and I stay off site in the in those months. Okay. But then in the wintertime I'm back here. Got it. Off site yeah. is um just down the road, right? Off site is a little cabin on a lake fifteen minutes away. That's pretty nice. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um I started living there. I've owned it for over 10 years and had a plan to live there and come here for work every day. But between all of the animals and the Airbnb guests and the events and the recording studio, I just wasn't able to make it happen until last year. Mm-hmm. And last year I was just I kind of reached my my breaking point where if I hadn't have moved off-site, I don't think I could have continued to do what I'm doing. Right. Uh, just for sanity, sanity's sake. Um, you know, there's, there's, I moved up here by myself, not knowing anyone to just get away and hide from the world. Yeah. And 20 years later, I ended up kind of creating a place where the whole world is, is coming to me. But where did you, where did you move from? We'll kind of start from there. Sure. Uh, I, uh, I live, I was living in New York city. Okay. Um, I went to school in the city, uh, college. So I, uh, I moved to the city when I was 18 and was in college for four years and then, uh, lived in the city four years after college working the last year and a half. Um, uh, I opened up a recording studio in Midtown and, uh, um, you go to college? I went to Columbia. Okay. I went to Columbia um kind of for music like or just no, kind of like figuring it out well i was figuring it out figuring myself out mainly mm. i was i grew up in south florida and i i had a pretty sheltered uh childhood so when i got to new york city at 18 i pretty much just freaked out Whoa. yeah yeah um and you know my whole my whole existence revolved around music, but I, um, I and I had I had played guitar growing up, but I had never really, I never felt like I could really indulge my 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 interest in any kind of like a you know, quote unquote real real way. Mm-hmm. So my experience of music was just just because uh, of where you lived in Florida. It's where I lived, um, you know, familial. Pro- pressure and All right. you know um you didn't have that like kind of open no vibe was, growing up like where you felt like you could do anything no no it was yeah. like career money you yeah. know have to you know sure um so um so yeah so but i was always like a crazy music fan and um when i got to college i you know i had i i, I didn't have a drink 
till I got to till my second year of college. Really? Uh, yeah, I never had a drink. I never did any drugs. And then my second year of college, I was just like, all right, we're doing we're, all. We're going it. in. We're going in. <laughs> so I was the same way. I didn't. I didn't drink at all in high school. I never, you know, smoked weed or, yeah. or did anything. You know, wow, I yeah. was super straight laced. Apparently, it's it's pretty pretty rare. You know, I guess so. I mean. Yeah, I mean, if most of my friends did. I just, I know that I, I just didn't really interest me. Yeah, until yeah. until later on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially drinking. Right. But yeah, that's just how it goes. Totally. So yeah, I got to New York City, and then I was just, I just after a year of just kind of, I was like deer in the headlights first year, and then uh, I started experimenting, like first of all with like my look. You know, mm-hmm. because I was I was very preppy in high school. I was the president of my class. I was a Florida State debate champion. You know, oh, wow. I was like I was like, you know, yeah, J. Crew, like the poster child. And then I got to the city, this and it is was J. Crew. Oh, nice. It's not too bad. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, I got to the city, and I was like, you know, I went down to uh, to um, you know Astor Place, and like got like a crazy like half buzz cut like mm. you know manic panic dyed you know c- combat boots with like liquid sky design like raver i was just like you i were went, really letting loose i went i was i just started exploring my identity basically and um my first trip home uh you know my parents were like what have we done <laughs> how could we have sent him to this you know um but like you uh, sheltered me that's what you did right 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 um, but then, yeah, then like the second year, my second year of college, I started, uh, basically going out every night to different clubs. And, um, first I got into like the goth, I was, I was kind of like, I was into the goth scene in New York, which was really amazing in the, in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. early to mid nineties. Um, uh, because I always loved, you know, I loved the Smiths and the Cure and, right. and you know, Sisters of Mercy, all that stuff, uh, Nine Inch Nails and, um, I imagine kind of, like at that time it was like really going. It was really yeah, going. It was. It was. So like goth industrial, but then I would also go to like I hung out at the Liquid Sky Design store, the record shop, and so I would also go to like the I was in the rave scene as well, mm-hmm. and um, um, so it was like was yeah. it easy for you to like kind of since you were kind of sheltered, was it easy for you to go out and be? It sounds like you were pretty outgoing when you were in college, which is not like, you know, did you really have to force yourself to do it? To I be didn't, involved in a lot? Well, I didn't force, I wasn't outgoing at all, actually. Okay. Um, I was really shy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really confused and um, like, forget about, you know, girls. Like I was, I like couldn't talk to girls at all. Yeah. Uh, but I was so driven by the music. I was so driven by like my passion for the music and just to be out and like this, the discovery of the music and then to be around people who were as into it as I was. Right. So I would go out, like I literally went out every night. Wow. Um, but I would go out. I had a few friends that I would go out with, more on like the ravers, rave side of things, but um, I went out a lot by myself, a yeah. lot. Most I would say most of the time I went out by myself and I didn't talk to anyone all night. Interesting. <laughs> so I would like be at the club, like hanging on the bar or in the corner or on the dance floor by myself. I just was really passionate about the music. Right. Um, uh, you know, and it also, like, of course I... 
I was longing for more of a more more friends and more community, right? Um, more connection, more connection, but um, that didn't come till later on. Um, but so I was so I was I was going out every night in the city, you know, taking the train down at all hours from the Upper West Side where Columbia is, and then getting more and more and more into the music scene and culture and then playing more guitar as well. And then I started, I saw on campus, there was a, um, like just a little handwritten sign in one of the buildings for a somebody, a band looking for a singer. I, there was a coffee house on campus too, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, so I started playing at the coffee house with a friend, just like a little acoustic duo. I feel like that happens in a bunch of colleges. Like URI, <clears throat> when, when I was in high school, a bunch of kids used to like play at the student union coffee house at mm-hmm. URI yeah. in Rhode Island. And that was like a big Mecca for, for kids kind of the same that yeah. re- were really into music, but they were young. They didn't know, quite where to go they couldn't get into clubs in providence yet totally so like they created this kind of thing yeah safe space for like playing and and being around like-minded musicians and and stuff yeah Yeah, it was great i mean it's great um there was a coffee house like that when i was just the year between the year for me the year between uh or the summer between high school and college was like life-changing for me because okay there, I discovered in my hometown of like Fort Lauderdale, which like I couldn't find anybody that was that remotely even resembled my, you know, like me or what my people. Because it's like an older community down there, right? Yeah, it's or, older, like retirees, and it's you like know, a lot beach, of vacationers of the vacationers, beach. Vacationers, and it's like a beach culture, and it's like a happy kind of like the whole vibe is like bright and happy and beach. And, yeah. and I was kind of like this, you know, darker, angsty teen, angsty teen listening to, yeah, Leonard Cohen and, and Robert Smith, and, mm-hmm. you know. You uh, had to get out of there. Yeah, but, but the summer between high school and college, I discovered a coffee house, um, and that was like that blew my mind. Okay. You know? So that was like the first like hole that was blown into my little world. And then when I got to college, there was a, another coffee house, a really cool one at Columbia in the basement of a of a church on campus. Mm. And that was amazing. And then I saw this sign posted on campus for a band looking for a singer, and the influences were like Pixies and Slint and uh, and The Cure. You know. So I was like, oh shit, this is like right in my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. So it ended up. It turned out that it was the band was three uh, older Columbia grads who um, who had this band and. Um, and they were they were like four years older than me, three or four years older than me, and um, and I became the singer in this band, and that was my first experience playing in a band, and it was just incredible. I, yeah. You know, it was like rehearsal space and hang, you know smoking weed and writing songs and and playing shows, and it was really I I I, I loved it. I loved it. So that was my first taste of like really being a musician. It's the best. It's so, so good. And then I did that for a couple of years, and then I was just, um, I started interning at some record labels. So I interned at like Virgin, I interned at um, one other one, I, one other one I can't remember. Did you get remember. these through the school, or did you, did you I, seek them out yourself? I think I sought them out myself. Mm-hmm. The one that was really important for it turned out turned out to be important was the the internship i had at tvt wax tracks um so it's like a british label that ended up like getting distribution in the u.s and they were bringing they had like all this all this like house 
and dance music. Okay. Um, and then they started, they had like Nine Inch Nails. The first Nine Inch Nails record was on, like Pretty Hate Machine was on uh, TVT Wax Tracks. Hmm. And so um, that's how I kind of discovered them and I sought them out. And then they were bringing, they had a distribution deal um, with Warp Records from the UK mm-hmm. and Warp had Autecker. Which was like you know, uh, it was like Aphex Twin, Autecker, all of these like um, early '90s IDM uh, electro IDM ambient uh, artists, and I just I totally fell in love. I went like super deep. So then my taste started to change, and I was I had always been into like dance music, but then I discovered this intelligent dance music IDM which was more like complicated rhythms, polyrhythms. I've never even like heard of that. that it's a, it's a, it's a tiny a little niche. genre that, um, you know, people make fun of the name, uh, intelligent dance music, but it was like, you know, warp records is like the biggest label that, that was associated with the genre. They did like boards of Canada, hmm. um, Aphex twin boards of Canada, Autecker. Those are like the, kind of the big three but then there were smaller labels like scam records and uh there's a million idm records yeah and i like years later i ended up um working for a tiny little record distribution company in brooklyn in williamsburg before like anything was in williamsburg hmm. um and we were bringing in all of this all of these uh idm and electro um 12 inches and 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 albums um, that nobody else was was bringing, so I got like just really, yeah, and really deep, deep into. I had always been into electro because I grew up in Miami in the eighties. Yeah, so like freestyle and electro were all over the radio in Miami, and like at the roller rink, you know, oh, like the oh, first, yeah. like that's when I think about like my first. Uh, I mean, my first concert that I ever went to was Billy Ocean after like Caribbean Queen was like a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw Cool in the Gang. Uh, those were my first two concerts. So those like are two pretty good. They're two pretty concerts. good. So like dan- you know, like drum machines and dance music. Um, and then like roller skating, you know, as a kid, like the roller rink was like eight oh eights and vocoders. Which is coming back. Oh yeah. It's it's totally coming back. Every Definitely. now every now and then when I'm on Instagram scrolling through the feed or something, I see a bunch of dudes like skating and coordination you know yeah just around totally. the thing and it's like oh my god this totally. is pretty sick yeah <laughs> i mean in, yeah definitely in the 80s like every single if it wasn't a, like a pool party mm-hmm. it was a roller skating party yeah and so like i just remember like the you know all the pretty tony like jams yeah. you know um and and it was the first time that i heard like the the vocoder in the 808 and that's still like anytime i hear a vocoder in an 808 i'm just i'm in you're you right know? you're right i'm, back I'm there. in i'm yeah. in uh, what did that that music, the IDM, kind of like? What did that blend into, or what did that become over time? Because like you uh, know, these things evolve. Yeah. Or, so or did it just go away, or no? I I mean I guess it turned into what's now EDM. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, uh, like break beats. Um, gotcha. I, also, like um, uh, like drum and bass. Um, yeah. there's like it, a little bit of in like the breakbeat drum and bass have you ever heard of the band Nerve with yeah, sure. jo- Jojo, Jojo Mayer yeah yeah, kind of like that kind of thing yeah so Jojo yeah. and I were hanging out at drum and bass because I then I got into like drum and bass the drum yeah. and bass scene and Jojo and I were hanging out 
uh, at all these drum and bass clubs and really? part, yeah like the cooler and baktun and dude I'm, uh, I'm a i'm a huge jojo mayor he's fan. incredible I, I went through i went through a phase of just like you know i was trying to figure out my technique and i bought his dvd and mm-hmm. stuff like that and it helped me a lot and yeah. and just him as a player just what he can do it's with crazy with so like so little effort yeah it's unbelievable I know. that's a whole other thing i know i know i know nuts. i know and he's he's swiss and yeah. he and i also had this connection because the one IDM record that I released 20 years ago, mm-hmm. like right before I bought this place and started this project, yeah. um, the, my, my record came out on a Swiss label um, out of Zurich, and JoJo is from Zurich as well. So okay. we would see each other there and, and in the city. Um, and yeah, I was always just like, his playing is just... I mean, it's, it's a whole next level. And then, the, and then the guys that he plays with, mm-hmm. like it's, they're just, it's a whole other level it is you know you just you, it's hard to even comprehend like someone that plays like four four all day you just watch that and you're like oh my god yeah that's a whole other thing yeah it's nuts totally and that, they, and that was a really exciting time in new york too when like yeah. the you know like the drum and bass scene was really exciting and then jojo bringing like the live drum and bass yeah thing because he was like the first or one of the first who's certainly the best yeah. at doing that live drum and bass thing so the first time you you're like oh my god like yeah this is incredible it sounds exactly like the records because if you imagine like the records going the drum and bass groove is going like say you hit a pad it's like he's right. like you have to press it over and over to restart it totally and then he's doing that as a live drummer yeah just and just the coordination it takes to to play what he's doing cleanly, but to pretend that you're like hitting a button to restart the beat right. at ver- at not at like weird times. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally, like, totally, totally, totally. It's it's just totally yeah, and playing like 140 BPM. Yeah, you know? it's just nuts. Yeah. It's just nuts to be able to do that. Well, it also takes a ton of practice and yes. hard work. But you yes. know, he's he's also a freak. He is, but he is. yeah. But you were there, so you're exploring. So I'm like going out every night in the city. I'm I'm in college. My, you know, I'm supposedly supposed to be getting this Ivy League education. You know, I'm like totally lost. As you ever pick a major? So the cool thing at Columbia is you don't have to pick a major. Oh, ever? (laughs) At least not when I was there. You can concentrate. Okay. So and the concentration is like basically like majoring, but with far fewer credits in that particular concentration Mm -hmm. so i don't remember what you know what the number of credits is but it's kind of like the bare minimum right you know so i ended up after changing my major a million times um i ended up concentrating in economics okay um it came easily to me it came easy to me for some reason and um and it was like, yeah, it was just the bare minimum yeah. thing that I could do. And it also felt like it was something like respectable that I could, you know, right. have for my, to show like for my parents, yeah. you know. So, uh, but I had discovered music. I, um, I'm going out every night. I'm like, you know, sleeping through classes. Uh, and then I discovered, uh, I, t- I started taking a couple of music classes and my interest in electronic music was, you know, was, was like skyrocketing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I found out, I had no idea, but Columbia has the first computer music center in, in the country. Really? Um, yeah, it's called the, 
it was it was a joint venture between Columbia and Princeton. So it was the Columbia Princeton Computer Music Center. Hmm. And they started it in the 60s. And they had the very first synthesizer ever, uh, the RCA synthesizer, which was the size of, of a room, you know, yeah. floor to ceiling, huge. And um, the the Computer Music Center at Columbia was on a building off campus on 125th Street. So, you know, there's Columbia is interesting because there's you have the quad. Uh, it's actually like a real campus in the middle of you know the Upper West Side. Isn't it? Isn't it like the only the only school with a real campus in New York or yeah, something like that? It yeah. is. It is. Yeah, it's um, kind of like Northeastern in Boston. It's the only okay. only place that has a real like quad and campus. And okay. Um, Harvard doesn't have that. Uh, uh, well, I guess technically Harvard would be Cambridge. Oh, okay. But, gotcha. But yeah, they do. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Park the car and Harvard Yard. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there was this like weird building off campus, 125th street, like Harlem that contained the computer music center. It contained the graduate, um, graduate, uh, fine art students studios mm -hmm. um and chemical engineering and chemical engineering columbia chemical engineering is where they invented agent orange yeah. and all and like the manhattan project was in this building and so it's unbelievable and the architecture i forget the architect's name but he designed like the, the same architect designed like one of the famous bridges the brooklyn bridge or i think it was the brooklyn bridge mm. so the building was massive incredible architecture cavernous and filled with like, you know, just this crazy energy. The and it was open twenty four hours a day. We had access because the art students needed to be able to work in their studios twenty four right. hours a day. So you would, but there was never anybody there except for the the computer music people and the and the artists. And the artists were all older. They were all, you know, they had all graduated already. Right. So they were like, you know, kind of like mentors to me, and they were all super cool. So we just hung out in this weird building, chemical engineering, you never saw anybody. Sometimes the elevator would open on the second floor and there was literally just like a locked door. When the elevator door opened, there was just a locked door <laughs> in front of you. Um, nobody ever went in or out, but we would find in the basement, like like half the power of Harlem would go through the basement of this building with these gigantic transformers. Oh and there was like a chain link fence in the basement around the transformers, but like the lock was broken, the door was open. You could just like go in and just like electrocute yourself. Oh my God. There was like a river running through the basement. There were, we would find discarded or unused uh, like um, rocket shells, you know, <laughs> like mortar shells. Yeah. It was just, it had like this amazing roof. So we ended up, I, I just, it was like I found my home there. Mm -hmm. So I would just, I took a couple of MIDI classes, um, got really into it, production, because the band that I was still singing in this band, and it was more of a rock band, and I was going out to, and listening to all this like dance music and electronic music. So I started to want to bring some of those elements into the band, right. and the band didn't want to hear, hear right. about it at all. Yeah, you were, you were going in another direction. I was going in another direction, So then, I, and I was trying to find other people to kind of go with me, and I couldn't, so then I said, well, why don't I, I'll just start to learn how to do it myself. Yeah. And um, it, this was in like, you know, 90, uh, like 95. Mm-hmm. So 94, 95. So it was just when like the, when the DAWs were like getting powerful enough that you could actually like have a whole studio in your, in the computer. <clears throat> yeah. 
and storage. Like it was all, you know, it was zip drives and jazz drives. But mm-hmm. it was, I remember like when the first jazz drive came out, it was like, you can get, you know, a gigabyte for a hundred dollars. It's so you know? amazing. Like yeah. how, how quickly that whole thing has, has changed it's and insane. how powerful, you know, just this. Yeah. Sitting on the table. I know. Is more powerful than I know. A- anything that, that you had then. It was totally. Crazy. It was nuts. Totally. So yeah, so I started like hanging out in this building and we started throwing parties. I became friends with the older, you know, graduates, art artists. Um, their studios were amazing and really fun to hang out with, hang out in. And then we started doing parties. Um, we started throwing parties at, um, at, uh, in this building, uh, which was called Prentice Hall. Yeah. And um, we started this uh, series of parties, parties called Knuckles. And um, it was art, and it was music, um, and it was, and I barely graduated because of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, yeah, so I was like learning about production in the computer music center. I was throwing parties in this in this weird building off campus. I was like working at the interning at TVT Wax Tracks. I was going out every night. I started to buy records. I learned. I bought a. Pair, a pair of Techniques 1200s. I learned how to DJ from this amazing Swiss DJ who came in and gave me like a 48-hour like beat-matching boot camp. Crazy. Um, and then I started DJing out, and um, but I, I somehow managed to graduate and needed a job. And one of the guys, one of the musicians from the Computer Music Center who was a year older than me, he got a job working on Wall Street. Um, and he recommended that it's I quite the pivot. Yeah. Well, he he you know his name was Patrick, and he said uh, he's like I told him I have no idea what I I, I kind of envied him because he was a really great programmer and he mm-hmm. would play live at at the Knuckles parties and um and then he went to work on this at this Wall Street day trading firm. And he's like, dude, you should come work here. It's amazing. It's easy. You sit around. It's like playing a video game all day, and you make a lot of money, and you can buy equipment. So yeah. I was like, okay, that sounds great. That I have no awesome. idea what else to do. So I ended up you know, graduating and, and going to work for this tiny little day trading firm, which was it was exactly like Wolf of Wall Street. It was, that was it. Like when I saw Wolf of Wall Street, I was like, holy shit, this like, is, that was my, that was life. my life for like two years. For two I years. Yeah, I did it for two years. I did not see that coming at all. Yeah. And I was, I hated it. It was, I was, I was so miserable, but I was able to, you know, I didn't, you would get like a draw, so you would make like a minimum. Right. Um, and then you could make, uh, the, 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 the guy, the top earner at the firm was making $7 million a month. A month. What? Yes. Um, it was right when high speed internet, when like the first just ISD, trades like taking it was in trades. By, trades. No, no, it was not. It was uh, there were the the client was the company. There was no it, there were no like individual clients. It was like you were trading for the firm. So the firm like I got there. They trained me for two weeks, and then they gave me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> and they said. Just based on our training, buy and sell. You and, so you have to turn that two hundred and fifty dollars. You take that money, you go. Yep. And then you and then you you try to build it exactly. And you get a draw. So every you know every week you get your minimum. And if you make more than your your minimum, then you then you get to keep that. And and if not, then you you basically have to pay your minimum. Like whatever you make, you 
you pay back your your draw with and then you keep whatever's so say you, you make know, nothing top. that comes out of the 250 it comes out of the 250 but still every you know every week you're getting you know you're getting a paycheck right and then eventually you're supposed to pay that all back but i didn't get to that point i was i i just i was there for two years and i broke even like almost to the penny yeah because i really didn't care Right. I was just like, I was in there just, I, for me, the, the draw that I was getting was plenty. It was a means to an end. Yeah, it was plenty. It yeah. was like, I was able to buy equipment. I was able to go out. I was able to get a little apartment in the West Village, which was amazing. That's great. And, um, but it was crazy. It was like, you know, it was like, uh, it was a testosterone nightmare. Oh my God. I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Can't even imagine. Do, so, you, need to, do you need to hit pause here? Do you need um, to do your thing? Yeah, we can. Let's we do can, that. Yeah, let's do that. The guy who the head of the company rented a whole suite on the top floor of the Plaza Hotel in the city and walked in there. I mean, the whole thing just like turned me off from the beginning, but he was sitting behind this huge desk and my friend told me like, whatever you do, whatever he asks, no matter what it is, like what's your name, mm-hmm. the answer is always money. Money, 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 money. That's, he's, he's like- What? Yeah, he's like- this, all like this he guy, wanted you to actually all, say all the this word guy money? wants to hear is that all you care about is making money, eating, oh. sleeping, breathing, shitting money. That's all you care about. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I got the job. It was miserable. I did it for two years. I, I didn't make anything, but I made enough money to start buying equipment. So I started to amass like a little home studio. And then after two years, um, I quit. Um, it was like a couple of things happened. I quit. My dad died, which was like a huge mm. thing in my life. And then I quit the job and then took the equipment that I had set up in my apartment and I rented a, a recording studio, just a raw space in Midtown on 38th Street. Um, and I set up, a, I built a little vocal booth and I put, a, put, a, put up my shingle and I was open for business, a recording studio. Out of like what would normally be like a rehearsal space kind of thing. It was actually, it was... Um, it wasn't even a rehearsal space. It was just like a, an office building. Oh. And um, the same friend who got me the job on Wall Street, um, he had a studio in the same building. He he, he opened a studio in the same it's building. Good friend. Just, yeah, really good friend. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, total DIY build. It was a very raw space. So, and I kept it that way. I just built a vocal booth. And I had, you know, I had a MPC 2000, which I still have. I've got, the, I had a Nord lead rack, which I still have. And mm. I had an ARP 2600 on loan, loan from a friend. Mm. And then I had a little, you know, mixer and a pair of event monitors, which after like almost 30 years, I just threw in the trash like oh, really? a month ago. Um, and that was it. It's that was crazy my studio. How long was it, that thing lasts. Yeah. Um, I had like a Kurzweil 2600 sampler, 2500, K2500. And, uh, that was it. And so I just started making, I was making these kind of like IDM, you know, break beady ambient kind of things. And, um, this is mostly for you. And then it was occasionally if you had some other people coming in that would, yeah, well, I needed the studio to make money because, um, you know, the rent was high. It was Manhattan. It was it was wasn't a small space. It was a nice size space, um, and so I needed to I needed to generate some income. Right. But the problem was is like I wasn't really plugged into a scene. Like I didn't really know anybody. As I said, like I had been going out all the time, but I was pretty shy. It wasn't I, necessarily like building up. I a wasn't network, really right? building a network. Um, 
And so I was kind of at the mercy of like whatever random things I got, mm -hmm. which ended up being mainly uh, hip hop demos. Mm. So, and with the production, because at, at this point, you know, I'd been like producing and making beats and DJing for probably three years or something. Um, and so, you know, I had the chops to make some yeah make some beats and and make some tracks and i got these all these young mcs um pretty much from off the street wow um and it was cool uh there definitely were some talented people but it was not not satisfying me and it was every month was like stressful to pay the rent mm -hmm. and it was just not happening so i did that for like a little over a year and then I closed the studio and I just needed to get out of New York. So I gave wow. my landlord rent. Uh, I gave my landlord notice that I was going to move out of this apartment I had lived in for four years. This is 20 years ago. <clears throat> this is in, uh, this is in, well, you'll see the punchline. This is in 2001. Yeah. 2001, uh, <clears throat> I gave my landlord notice. Um, I gave him two months' notice. And then a month after I gave him notice uh, was 9 11. Yeah, so, and I was like, I was in the West Village, so I watched the towers collapse from my rooftop. Oh my God. And then all, I was right on Hudson Street, which was one of the main avenues for people to get out. To get out. So, you know, it was just like a, a sea of people all day and like the dust and the, you know, the smell and the, the, the it was just crazy. And yeah. um, I was in, so I was in the city for a month the first month after after September 11th, and then I left, and that was you know it seemed to me like it was a really good moment to like, to step out. Wow, that's and crazy! Just being being there on that day, but. it was crazy. And then actually, <clears throat> it was it was crazy as well because um, so I ended up going traveling for almost a year mm -hmm. just with a Pelican case with like my Nord and a laptop and a little two channel you know rudimentary interface and um and i went on the road to to just travel and make music out of this little studio rig that i had where did you go like well just, i just travel like hop in a car and be like eh, no see what happens, so first I, I went down to florida to you know hang with my family a little bit mm -hmm. as i said like my dad had recently died so um mm -hmm. i had like stuff to do down there with my mom and my step my stepmom and um, moved a bunch of stuff from New York down there. And then I, I was practicing a lot of yoga at the time. So I went down to the Bahamas for, oh, wow. uh, for, to an ashram, um, and spent like, just spent a week just like kind of practicing yoga and resetting my mind. And mm -hmm. then I flew to Argentina because I had, I was on a train going, uh, visiting an ex-girlfriend and I, I met an old elementary school friend, uh, like in between cars on the train. And he was moving to Argentina for business and he invited me down. So I booked a flight to Argentina and I, I, I booked the flight, I booked the trip for three months. And, um, and the first day after I arrived in Argentina, you know, this was like 2001 and Argentina was a very ex expensive country at that time. The dollar was one-to-one -one with the Argentinian peso. Really? Yeah. Um, so when I got there, I really, you know, I, I had, I was going to be there for three months. I had this whole, I had like a budget. I was being really conscious 
Um, and then the day after I arrived, the Argentinian economy collapsed. <laughs> like, a, like a once in a lifetime, you know, right. <clears throat> economic crisis for Argentina, which unfortunately now has lasted like, you know, 20 years. It's only gotten worse. But when I arrived, the dollar was one to one with the peso. And the day after I arrived, the dollar was, you know, four to one to the peso. Right. So I was like, oh, maybe this would be a six month trip. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I ended up like, I, I didn't, I should have, you know, sometimes I think I should have extended that trip, but, uh, I ended up spending a lot of time in Argentina over the years. Um, but anyway, I, I was down there during like an insane moment in our, you know, in history of well, Argentina. It, wasn't like the U S involved in that, like the whole collapse and wasn't like some kind of coup or something. Am I getting that wrong? Not, get not country, in this, ca- not in this case. No. Okay. I'm, I'm getting that wrong. Yeah. Um, but, um, the, what was amazing about that time was like, as I said, I had, I had been working for a small record distribution company. So I went to Argentina with like a record bag full of, 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 of records that like hardly anybody in the U S was getting. Mm -hmm. No one in Argentina had these records and this right. was like pre-streaming you know right. of course so um so i had this like record like this golden record bag mm-hmm. and i ended up in the middle of like this crazy economic crisis i started i found this one little bar in the center of buenos aires and i started djing having a regular night at this place and it was a place where like all these artists and musicians could hang and like get a little bit of a break from the insanity. You know? And you were playing stuff that, they, and I was playing stuff no that was like blowing everybody's and, minds, wow. you know? So through that, and then I started having like parties at my house and my, my whole hmm. house ended up becoming this little haven yeah. during this time, three months. And I started a band in Argentina and, and so, and the connections that I made back then are still really strong today. So I have bands that now come up from Argentina wow. um, to to work in the studio here with me, and I still go down there. Um, before I had the farm and had all of the animal responsibilities, I would shut this place down in the wintertime and just go back down to Argentina for a couple wow. of months at a time. But then once I got the farm and the business started to really you know, grow, I couldn't do that anymore. So right. I just went down to Argentina for the first time in 12 years this Re- past winter. Wow. And now, so the when I was down there, the dollar was four to one to the peso. Now it's 200 to one. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, Yikes. it's really sad. Yikes. It's really bad. Um, but anyway, so then I, I, I left Argentina. I went to Europe because uh, I also, I mentioned I have connections in Switzerland through this uh, Swiss record label. The record that I made on the road while I was traveling during that year is the record that came out on this Swiss label. So I went and I lived in Zurich for a while um, and then traveled. Like Zurich was kind of my home base, but I traveled all over Europe. And then um, I came back to the States and... My plan was to go home and spend a few months with my family. After a few days, I was already like itching to, here, to yeah. get out. And my grandmother, the reason that I'm that I am that I live and work here, where you know where I do in Sullivan County in, in the Catskills, New York, is because my grandparents, um, my grandfather was born in this county, and mm-hmm. he and my grandmother owned a summer camp um, oh. for for kids from like i don't know something like 65 to 77 i was gonna say there had to be some kind of like connection to this area for like 
was just trying to figure out like how, yeah. how did this happen here you yeah know? yeah so my grandfather was born <clears throat> about uh you know 30 minutes from here his family operated a little farm and bungalow colony back in the day and then um but they were all from brooklyn my whole family is just like you know brooklyn jews yeah and um and this area was always like a very popular spot vacation spot um for like secular jews uh from brooklyn and then um he and my grandmother bought a summer camp in the 60s in parksville um and my whole you know my whole family my my parents all my cousins everybody spent their like salad days up at this camp yeah and i was i they brought me up to the camp when, for the first time when i was 2 weeks old so i i spent you know my first month of my life in sullivan county and then my grandparents sold the camp in 77 when i was 2 and i grew up in south florida but i would come back when i was old enough i would come back to other camps in this area right. for summers right so i just had a lot of sensory memories of summer up here in the catskills and always really loved it and mm -hmm. then when i moved to new york for college i would come up here and camp on my grandmother's land because even though she sold the camp in 77 she kept some land across the street from the camp just woods mm -hmm. so i would come up and camp on her land and just always loved it so uh after this like year year of traveling and living out of a backpack and a pelican case um she asked me to come up because she was finally selling her the land across the street from her camp and she asked me if i would come up meet with the surveyor meet with the lawyers meet with the buyer go to the closing and offered me a few acres of this of this land oh wow and um so i came up i was like you know i just jumped at the opportunity to get out of my parents' yeah, house. And, I imagine. Uh, after like three days. So this was always like a, a getaway spot for you. Like always yeah. like a relaxing kind of. Yeah. Like and it was always kind of like a home. Yeah, yeah. It was like, a, it was home in a way, even right. though I never lived here. Right. Um, so yeah. So then I came up here and I first explored the opportunity of um, the option of, of taking some land, taking, accepting my grandmother's offer and, um, and um, taking some of her land, but I was, you know, 20, I think I was 26. I was not handy at all. I didn't know the difference between a Phillips and a flathead screwdriver. Um, and, um, and I, you know, the, the idea of taking a raw piece of land and turning it into a home, um, was just you know totally it was beyond daunting to right. me i had no concept of how to take like a which it is for most people let alone a 26 year old yeah um of course now 20 years later you know i'm like yes please like that's what i want you yeah. know but um i i i quickly kind of dismissed that idea and then i had a week to kill up here so i just found a real estate broker and started looking around at houses and um saw about a dozen places and um one of which was this little two acre house with a garage um on a main road just outside of a little weird abandoned town and it felt like a good i don't know it was uh, something some impulse took over and i ended up just buying it yeah um i looked at places at the time that were like more remote those scared me um so this was a good compromise, you know. Because you didn't have you didn't have any desire to like go 
back and retry the city or no do any of that stuff. it was either it was either <clears throat> continuing to travel it was like buy a vw bus and, and figure it out along the way yeah and just keep making because actually the year that i was traveling was the most productive music making year of my life really yeah really? um so all i wanted to do was keep that rolling yeah and i didn't know if the if I wanted to just keep moving and doing that or like plant roots somewhere and, and keep doing that. Mm -hmm. So obviously I chose the latter. Um, so, you know, I wasn't sure until I saw this place that, and the reason that I chose it originally was that, you know, it, it, it is on a main road, so it felt kind of safe to me. Um, you know, I grew up like in the suburbs and I'm pretty much like a city kid. Um, and then, um, I didn't think that I needed to do anything to it. You know, I was like, oh, I could just move in and just keep, turn keep going, turnkey, yeah. and just yeah. keep going. Meanwhile, 20 years later, I'm still, I'm still pounding nails. Always a and project. Still, yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> one November tw 2002, I found myself here. Um, it all happened very quickly and I didn't know anyone in the area and I took my Pelican case and I set up a little studio upstairs in my house and I started working. And Was then, that this house? That yeah, this house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, about six months later, I think that just that spring, the, the property next door went up for sale, which was three little dilapidated bungalows that some other family used for a summer retreat. Mm -hmm. And so I bought those and started fixing the first one up was land like pretty cheap up here or land like, was very cheap yeah yeah land was i really imagine like <clears throat> you know it, it's hard to compare like the market now for land or housing or anything right yeah. now it's just like how could a it's 26 insane. year old or 27 year old that's been traveling that hasn't you know pull it off it, but that makes you know, sense yeah i mean I, w I was really lucky because i had the you know i did the stint on wall street so right. i had a little bit of savings it wasn't yeah. a lot my dad you know left me a little bit of money it was just enough to like buy the house and kind of get this place rolling and yeah, do yeah. some you know like in infrastructure improvements um but pretty quickly i realized that you know i was gonna have to f i was gonna have to figure out a way to start making money here in the yeah. you know in the middle of nowhere did you originally think when you bought the the place that this would be what it is now like did you have a vision no. for for any that this would become a place of business for you none not not even a none not even a notion. no none and I, <laughs> yeah none and I, I didn't really you know like i bought this place to pretty much hide out from the world yeah and find and like find myself mm -hmm. you know because i had lived in the city for 8 years but i was still searching for my self my identity who yeah. i was i really didn't find it in the city i had to i i couldn't i couldn't go deep in the city i just yeah. couldn't i was I, you know a city like i love the city but it was just like you know i couldn't i couldn't just sit at home in my apartment and and work on music or write or, you know i it was like fomo to the max i was just like i gotta be out i just had to always be out yeah. you know yeah. and i wasn't even you know i wasn't like as i said like i had started you know like drinking and doing drugs or whatever but it was all like fortunately moderation you right. know it was just like music and just like 
yeah, just searching for searching for myself, searching for my crew, searching for the next, the coolest, latest new thing, music thing. You know, I just, I couldn't build, I didn't feel like I could build anything internal in the city. So I bought this place and the idea was just like, let me just start figuring out who I am, you know? Yeah. And uh, New York City is like shatters the glass and you have to find all the little pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but then, you know, so I bought the property next door and then, um, started fixing, first started fixing up a a little cabin as a rental. And then, um, the second, after I did that, the second, uh, bungalow, I started like having, I started renting out the first cabin, um, mainly to friends. And then, um, one of the other bungalows I turned into a studio. And the original idea was that it was just going to be my studio. I wasn't going to, wasn't going to be a commercial studio, but, uh, so I built like basically an electronic studio. Um, there's a little booth there. Um, but it was just filled with synths and I had no experience with microphones, recording acoustic instruments. I had no experience with like, you know, really outboard gear. Um, so, you know, it was just filled with synths. But then being up here, the vibe, I just started playing guitar more. I started singing more and I started getting more interested in acoustic music. I was listening to more acoustic music and I got more interested in recording acoustic music. So then the gear, you know, then the gear, there we go. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the never ending. It was, it was, it was deep. I went deep. Yeah. I went really deep. Well, when did that, you said that this was like a stable and then you had to knock it down. Right. And you started building the studio. When was this idea kind of like, you know, hatched? Yeah. So I was like, I was so, you know, not terribly scarred by my city studio experience. Maybe because like I didn't have any partners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but I was you know it was, it was pretty damaged because I got a taste of what it's like to spend all day working on music that you're not into. Okay. And that was really difficult for me, as right. it is for everybody. But um, <clears throat> I wanted to avoid that as much as possible. So. Um, every step that I've taken in the evolution and growth of the studios here has been like cautious and, um, and not without like a lot of, um, basically proof Mm. that, that the next step is warranted and necessary and is going to work, which I think is smart. A lot of people just drop it like, Drop everything. I'm going to jump in head first. Well, of course, when I finally, you know, after basically after 14 years of living here and starting with this small electronic studio that then I filled floor to ceiling with outboard gear mm-hmm. and started having bands coming up and recording whole records live, you know, in this tiny little room to then expanding to like a hybrid setup where that be- that was the control room but then the back of the garage which was the f- the old horse stable became the live room yeah and having bands because that was at the time where like uh right at the time where multi-track like bands realized like okay this multi-tracking shit is cool where yeah. we can like have a studio in our bedroom and like make a whole record one thing at a time right right but like actually the records are not getting finished because it takes forever and there's no vibe and it's not fun. Right. We want to like 
play be, together. We want to play together in a room yeah. and like, oh shit, all the, you know, most of the studios in New York City where you could, you used to be able to do that have now closed. Mm -hmm. So fortunately I had this space and um, I was really frustrated as an engineer too. I'm like, I don't want to like, I want to, I want to, I don't want to work on a record for six months, right. you know, I, like, so let's get this shit done, like yeah. six days, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so luckily I had this space in the back of the garage, which was originally a horse stable. And when I moved in, there was a horse there for like six months that the previous owners left. But then when the horse left, I said, oh, I'm never gonna have animals here. So I demoed the stable, turned it into a wood shop that I used to like build a bunch of the places here. And then uh, after about seven years in the small studio of like, you know, getting more into the acoustic recording and having bands come up and just seeing that like, oh, wow, like this is cool. Like actually bands like, coming upstate and there's also, getting there's a desire for there's this, a yeah. need and a, actually there's now there's like a little bit of a track record that like yeah cool records are actually coming out of this little weird studio like and now like the bands and i want to have a more space so yeah. let's let's make a live room and then I did six years of a hybrid setup where the control room stayed where it was and then the live room was in the back of the garage and, um, you know, the bands would be in the live room and I'd be in the little control room with a, ca a little CCTV camera. And we did that for about six, six years. And a bunch of cool records were made in that, in that, that way, you know, like the big thief capacity was made that way. Mm -hmm. Um, here we go. Magic, um, be small, the, you know, yay sayer, amen and goodbye. Like a, a, a ton of really cool records, delicate Steve. Um, this is Steve, like, Tons of records were done that way, but it was like, it wasn't a very efficient way to work. And nobody was, uh, bands were coming up here to write the records and record, but nobody was staying up here to mix. Mm. And I was the only one that was mixing in the in what is now Studio B, this, the original small studio. Yeah, But I was frustrated mixing in there because it was a total DIY build. The acoustics were weird. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fun production zone, but mixing is difficult. It's arduous. And the console that's in there, which is a really cool, funky, like front end sound workshop, 1280 console. Um, it's not a very flexible mixing desk. And I like working on a desk. So anyway, bands were coming to write and track, but nobody was staying here to mix. And I wanted bands to be able to do, you Complete know, the whole thing. Yeah, one stop shop. And I also wanted to have a, a, a more fun, easier time mixing. So, um, the last record that was made in the in the first incarnation of the studio, which was just the just the the small studio before the live room, was um, Luke Temple's "Good Mood Fool," and um, and that record, which is an amazing record, I highly recommend it, um, was mixed down in the city in Brooklyn at Strange Weather by Daniel Schlett. Hmm. And um, Luke invited me down. I ended up producing the record, and Luke invited me down to attend uh, the mix session. And as soon as I walked into Strange Weather and heard the sound coming out of the monitors, I was like, okay, this is a real recording studio. This is what I've been trying to do and failing, and this is what I need. Yeah. And luckily, I you know became friends with Daniel and Mark, who own the studio, and they basically shepherded me through the entire process. I hired the same designer that they hired for Strange Weather, this guy, Wes Show down in um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And um, 
And Wes came up and we turned the front half of the garage, uh, which was just a two car garage. We turned that into a control room and a couple ISO booths. Yep. Um, and now there's two studios, the A room, the B room. And, um, and after 20, you know, I had, I, I said that like every step of the way I was proceeding with caution because, every, you know, I needed, I needed like proof that it was right. going to work. And every single time, every, every time I, I got the proof, every time, every record yeah. bands were like, oh my God, we got so much done here. Oh my God, we got more than we, you know, we're so psyched. And, um, so it was just encouraging to, to keep growing. And then of course, when I was finished six years ago with the new studio, my first thought was like, oh fuck, like I should have done this right from the beginning. <laughs> I should have just jumped right in and gotten this thing, you know? Yeah, well, I can't imagine that that would have been, I mean, easy to do. No, it would, it would have been know? very difficult to do, but it's, it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big. It's a big. It's like buying a Ferrari for your first car. It's yeah. Like it's not. It's not. It's not something that's easy to do. Right. You know? Right. Um, but um, but yeah. And then in the meantime, so now there's two studios: the A room, the B room. The A room is you know Wesley Show Design Control Room with a big 72 channel Neve VR console and big ATC soffit mounted monitors and a ton of outboard and then. Uh, big big live room and five ISO booths and machine room and um, and then the other studio went back because most of the gear ended up going into the A room so mm-hmm. then the B room ended up going back to what it originally what it used was to be. which was more of a production room synth room electronic studio and now the two studios are really complementary like the, you know I get the bigger budget like bands work in the A room and then the smaller budget like single producer electronic. Uh, well, they're tracking know, drums in there. They are tracking drums in there. Yeah, so that's pretty. Yeah, cool. yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. I, I have love to that. check. The, I haven't seen it. I need oh to yeah, check it out. Definitely, yeah. definitely. It's great. Yeah. It's a great vibey production room. Um, and one, once I finished the A room, the A room came out so so well that then I had to go back to the B room and like completely redo that because it just looked like you know it, it just it, they were not it looked like leftovers. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> like left like leftovers after like two months. Yeah, yeah. It was it was bad. So now now the two rooms are really complimentary, and the bigger uh, budget bands are renting both studios at the same time and mm-hmm. working you know simultaneously because right. the computers are networked. There's tie lines, so it's easy to fly stuff back and forth. So cutting basics in the A room and then flying them over to B for editing, comping, tuning. It's not a problem. Overdubs, yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, That's awesome. And then, but now it's so much like the property is so much of an Airbnb, a rental, kind of like a getaway for a lot of different people. Like yeah. we've noticed a lot of random like people that that are kind of just, it feels like they want to get out of the city. <laughs> like like or, the woman who just walked by and looked in the window. Yeah, and came up on the porch and like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it, it seems like an interesting, eclectic thing. Like when did that becomes such a part of it. Was that just a way or a means to pay for the studio pretty, and, and, and make that all that stuff work? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. You know, um, the studio, you know, it doesn't help that up until a couple of years ago, I was, I was still like investing heavily in the studio, you know, paying yeah. off the build and, and still buying equipment. Um, now that that has tapered off, now the studio is starting to like, you know, get its sea legs and like, yeah. you know, the studio has been paying for itself. 
Um, but certainly, it, I don't. I couldn't have even built the studio without the the rental business. Right. And the rental business is something that uh, you know I'm really lucky because you know most studio owners don't have that luxury. Oh yeah. You know? It's like sink or swim half. from the studio. Right. And honestly, if I had to like sink or swim just from the studio, I don't know if I could do it. You know. Um, yeah. Well, because it, it's not always feasible for. Mm-hmm. There's only. I mean, there can't be that many bands that mm-hmm. can come up and, and afford to do that kind of like retreat right. recording yeah. style thing. Yeah. And, and you're serving a lot of New York City. So right. if they don't, you know, that's that's a that's a it difficult is. thing it to, is. to it do. Is. It is. It is. So I, I imagine that there's always people here on the weekend, like people coming in right. here or during the week. Yeah. So that's the, great. Yeah. The... Imagine it's a pain in the ass a lot of times, <laughs> but... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a much appreciated pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I would say consistent. Yeah, consistency is the thing. It's like I can count on the rentals for consistent income, where the studio is inconsistent. You know, it ebbs yeah. and flows. And yeah, you're right. It's like my studio is a destination studio. Right. Um, fortunately. Over the last, you know, 10 years, the local music scene has grown to the point where, like, I can fill time with locals, like, you know, on more of, like, an hourly basis. But, yeah, um, at, of course, like, a discounted rate. Yeah. But but most of my bookings are, you know, day rate bookings, and most of the bands are coming from out of town, um, and it takes a lot of planning to come here. You know, it yeah. takes, it's scheduling. It's not like, I, I rarely get last minute bookings like I did in the city. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we need, you know, you have time tomorrow or like, is the studio available later today or whatever? Like, I don't get that, yeah. you know? It's like a month in advance, you know, a couple months in advance yeah. of like, let's get, let's sync up our schedules. The band, you know, everybody's got, most of the bands have day jobs and other gigs and like Mm -hmm. it takes it takes some planning to come here yeah Yeah, it's a lot of work yeah so the rental thing has been great because it's been able to keep me afloat while the studio had the cachet of the studio has grown yeah and now the studio definitely has like you know it's got its reputation it's it's got its like it's the the discography the you know the the cachet has definitely grown it's by no means on autopilot you know it's still like a total hustle you know but i have a great manager who reps the studio and pitches it to um to to bands and artists and um and it just continues to grow which is great but in the meantime i get to i get to um i i have like a little bit of a peace of mind because i know that the rental thing is kind of at this point is is um it's rolling you know it's backing up yeah, you know, those those other dreams, yeah, you know? and the rental business is one that has kind of simultaneously grown as the studio has grown. Um, I started off originally with a two acre piece of property, and now I have a fourteen acre property because I was lucky enough to be able to expand in both directions over right. the years. And um, you gotta get that guy behind you. Oh my god! Oh my god! That gotta get be, that guy behind you. That would be nice. Man. That would be nice. We're gonna start a GoFundMe. Um, no, we're not. But who is that guy? Oh, he's a very nice gentleman. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he's nice. Yes. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Whatever happens is good. But um, 14 acres is plenty to. It's a lot. It's a lot to of take land. care of. There's 13 of different rentals here on the property. 
Uh, six of them are year round. Seven of them are seasonal. Uh, I rent the whole property out to groups for retreats and events. So I do weddings and offsites and health and wellness retreats and private parties and photo and video shoots. And, um, and yeah, it's been, you know, it's been great. I've been basically building the infrastructure here for the last 20 years. I'm getting, this place is awesome. Thank you. It's thank so, you. it's so great. It's fun. Yeah. It's been like, you know, cause it's funny, Tim and I were hired to be here and be a part of Jeff's record and stuff. And, um, you know, it it's unlike any other other experience in a recording studio I've had. I mean, I've been sitting here all day and I haven't done it. <laughs> That's been like the last couple of days. Yeah. And um and it's great. It's like cool. They get to get some stuff done and yeah. as soon as I need to shake a tambourine, all my heavy lifting was done last week. So Right. But it's I mean, it's really an experience to just go walk around and like hang out and see the yeah. the, the store, the, right. on, the honor system store. Right. Pretty yeah. great. Yeah. And yeah, there's a, I mean, now yeah. there's like, there's the studio, there's the rentals and then there's a little farm here with sheep and goats and alpacas and chickens and a little garden and barn shop. And I think it's the best way to make a record, whether, you know, whether, whether it's at this particular place or just like the retreat model of yeah. just like full immersion, you yep. know, I think uh, it's great. Yeah. You relax into it yeah. rather than feeling like, yeah, you're on, you're on a, a schedule, I'm sure, depending on, sure. on what you're doing. But like, if you have songs written and you've had your pre-production all kind of like buttoned up and mm-hmm. you know, have a good idea what you want to do, mm-hmm. you can come in and just relax and, and get your basic tracks done. And then also like, you can do some late night sessions. Yeah. You can, you can kind of get it done at your pace yeah. because your commute is very minimal yeah it's like literally 50 paces yeah it's great what i didn't like about having the studio the studio in the city was like yes i needed to make money but i didn't want to make money at the expense of the artist's creativity and sanity so and you know so it would be like you know this by the time you know it's just the city is just so stressful so like people would show up late to the sessions because the trains wouldn't be running Mm -hmm. or there was something happened or the weather or the you know by the time they got to the session they got there late then they needed like a half an hour to an hour just to like decompress and then you know and everybody's just looking at the clock the whole time and and then you'd, they'd leave, and then you'd have to do it all over the next day. And right. I didn't want to do that again. This way, people, there's no, you know, the stu- studio's available 24 hours to the bands. There's no noise problems. You know, people, if people get inspired and want to go in and write in the middle of the night, they can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, it's just a more relaxed way to to make a record right. and and as stressful of a process as it is to make a record i just feel like why not put yourself in the most relaxing chill setting possible yeah you know just to give yourself that like head start you know yeah you just kind of take take that aspect out of it yeah you know you don't, you don't yeah. have to deal with it what's next for the studio uh let's see what's Bathroom? next bath oh yeah in terms of expansion yes we're gonna <laughs> after 20 years after 20 years we're gonna put a bathroom into the studio it's uh you know i think it's time i love it when whenever greg has to come in use the bathroom he goes i'm gonna go home for a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know most of the bands that come and stay mm. here uh, most of the bands that are working in the studio are staying on the property so they all have accommodations with bathrooms right. and 
it's a you know it's anywhere between a 30 second to a one minute and one minute walk to their bathroom so it hasn't really been a problem uh a lot of the people enjoy having the excuse to step out for a second in the winter time it's a little yeah in the winter time it's a little uh you know it's a little more difficult you got to put on your coat and you're gonna you know your boots and trudge through the snow and go you know so but um it's a rite of passage um you book the studio a lot in the in the summer or in the in the winter the winter i think is the busiest time for the studio are you serious yeah i would thought it would be the complete opposite no it's it's just tougher to get up here well in the summer bands are on the road you know now you know obviously with covid they weren't but um bands are on the road in the summertime and in the winter they're not and so they're writing you know and with the release the label release schedules like making the records in the winter right so yeah, I love I love having bands here in the in the winter because um, the studio is nice and warm. There's lots of light, so you can just be inside and like be yeah. all nice and warm, but look out at the snow. It's beautiful. That's cool, I imagine. It's super quiet. Yeah. You know, it's it's really peaceful. Scenery up here in, in the winter, especially, is yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're gonna build a bathroom. Um, <laughs> the Jeff Lappin bathroom. The Jeff Lappin honor honor honorary bathroom. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, you know, then, then we might, we might, we're looking into an Atmos. We're looking into Atmos right now. I said Jeff Lapman. It's Tim Lapman. Tim Lapman. Jeff Lang. It's only been two weeks. Tim Lapman, honorary (laughs) arch. And yes, the Jeff Lang bathroom. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking about Atmos. Atmos. It seems to be the future and, um, there's a demand for it. It's kind of the last thing that I want to do because I really am tired of building projects and it's going to be a retrofit to my beautiful studio. Um, but it seems like that might be, how does that work? Well, you know, immersive audio, uh, it's like all the, uh, for film and all like, labels are remixing all their classic they're right. basically their whole catalogs are getting remixed for atmos right. um and new new records new labels are asking for atmos mixes for new records for you know for all the like the the apple the oh the uh the headphones yeah. the sound bars the you know yeah. the immersive audio right. uh, what else atmos immersive audio atmos is the dolby name for it right but it's basically like a bunch of speakers. It's like surround sound on steroids. You know, yeah. you've got like, you know. It always weirds me out when I'm like listening to something on my phone and I have my AirPods in and it does the, um, the uh, I forget what they call Spatial it. Spatial audio? Spatial audio. It yeah. freaks me out. I have to turn right. it off because yeah. I'm like, I turn my head and I hear everything on the right side. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's weird. Yeah, but, yeah, right. But I imagine in the right scenario, it's like pretty cool. I've never experienced it. I've yeah. yet to experience it. Um, I'm going down on Saturday. I need to let the guys know that on Saturday, 7.30 a.m., I'm going to be leaving here to drive to the city for a workshop, like a seminar on uh, immersive audio and Atmos at uh, the power station. Oh, Berkeley um, Power Station. Yeah, Berkeley Power Station with uh, Bob Clear Mountain. Um, I'm really glad Berkeley bought bought it. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, it, it was it was going to go away. Yeah, I know. One of the most famous studios ever, uh, Avatar Studios yeah. in, in New York, was going to go away, which is insane. Yeah. So I'm glad somebody bought it. John Mayer almost bought it. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. But um, but yeah, 
Interesting. Yeah, so I'm going to be there. I've never been in the rooms and the building, so I'm excited about that. And then I've That's never cool. been, you know, Bob Clearmountain. He's, he's, he's kind of the goat. And uh, uh, he's on a panel with a bunch of people, including my friend Daniel Schlett from Strange Weather. Um, and uh, so I'm going to go down and... and I've, it's been like, it's been over a year that I've been, um, thinking about it and I really don't want to, I, I don't want to do it. I really don't, but yeah. it's a, it's a big expense. Uh, and it's, it's, if I were building a new studio now, I would, I would incorporate it 100%. Right. But right. to retrofit my room is going to be, it's going to take some doing and, uh, and the expense and the time. And, um, so yeah, I, it's one of those things where like, I, I don't want to do it. I don't. I don't. Are you convinced? Are you convinced that this is the future? That you, I'm getting that there. You have to. I'm do getting it? there. So this is another one of those things where you have to be convinced that it's going to work out. Yeah. You know, kind of in the future. Yeah. I'm getting there. Yeah. I think. I mean, it looks. It looks that way. You know. I'm it pers- really does. I'm not convinced personally. But if you're doing, if that's the thing, if you're doing and mixing for like recording and mixing for movies and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on the opportunity. If I did do it and I got the Atmos certification, I would be the only studio upstate to have it. So that would be cool. That'd be a big deal. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there are some, some pretty big mixers upstate who have reached out and expressed interest in coming to work. If I have the Atmos rig here, there you go. But the economics of it are not really there yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to see what happens on Saturday, but definitely a bathroom because, you know, <laughs> people need to use the toilet. That's been proven over time. Uh, and then maybe Atmos. But other than that, uh, the studio is pretty much pretty much done. You know, there's there's a couple there's always some uh, microphones on the dream, the dream list, but it's, nothing is really necessary at this point. Yeah. No, I mean, you got great stuff. It's it's really um it's really a, an enjoyable studio to record in. Thank you. For sure. Thanks, That's Jesse. awesome. You've done you. great work up here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Most interesting man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, thank you. you. Thanks very much. That was the episode with Josh Druckmann. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, what a cool guy, right? Awesome. Really, really, really awesome. If you are looking to record up in uh, like a like a, um, a place off the beaten path that's quiet, that is cool, go check out Outlier Studios or Outlier Inn. Or if you just want to go up there for a vacation and book an Airbnb, that's where you should book it because it's really, really awesome and there's so much cool stuff up there um, if you want to get away, get away out of the city and, and, and do some cool stuff. So thank you guys very much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekends. Um, Share some stories with me. Tell me about shows. Tell me about new music that you're into. Um, Like, I want to hear it. I want to hear it all. And that's afterthegigpod at gmail.com. And then also the Patreon, which is after the gig. Or no, it's not that. It's patreon.com slash after the gig. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. More is going out than coming in. The shape I'm in If I keep trying